0: Welcome to Somewhat
1: Decent Reviews, episode eight. No. Is it eight? (laughs) No. No. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Somewhat Decent Reviews. My name is Laura. And I'm Molly,
0: and we have a somewhat decent handle on the date.
1: If you didn't know, that was my uh, impression (laughs) of the count from Sesame Street. Except his laugh is ah, ah, ah. I think that it's actually pretty good.
0: You I think do so. Really good job. Yeah, from someone who didn't really watch Sesame Street what? and doesn't know whose voice that is like what that guy's voice actually sounds like. You didn't watch Sesame Street? No, dude. I had two much older siblings. Uh, yeah. You know, I forget this sometimes. So it wasn't really on the TV when I was a kid.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. Um, but you know what TV shows I did watch a lot of, what'd you watch? Man, I watched a lot of PB and J Otter. Oh, I feel like I've heard this, but I've never seen it. I watched a lot of um, Franklin.
1: Oh, I love little Franklin. bear. Yes. Oh, God. God. Good. Go, go, go. Island is one of those shows that like, I'll mention it. My brother and I fucking love that show. Yeah. Not a lot of people know about it. Oh my God. That one was so
0: cool because it was one of those shows that paired real people with puppets, humans right? and puppets, humans yeah. and puppets, yeah. a great a great, great combo, combo a, great a great concept. Combo. I loved it in, uh, on Gala Island, loved it in the Broadway musical Avenue Q.
1: Love it. I'm um, speaking of TV. What, yeah. What have you been watching? What have I been watching? That's current. So not from the nineties. Yeah. What's the current <laughs> rundown on your TV? You know, schedule? I've been actually,
0: okay. So I'm probably going to talk about a lot of different TV tonight. And I want you to chime in because I think I'm going to be talking about some stuff that you
1: Hit me. hit me with watched. your tv
0: um so the first one that i want to talk about that i watched that i think you watched part of is um life and beth yes okay so it's amy schumer's show it's pretty good honestly mm-hmm. um it's got a pretty cool cast um i think that the storyline is really interesting if you haven't watched it spoiler alert uh spoiler Just spoil. Spoil alert. (laughs) Like the date on a carton of milk. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Spoiler alert. I'm probably going to give stuff away, but I like how in this show, it's an interesting concept in that the whole first episode, you you don't really know exactly what this show is going to be about. Um, She's like hanging out with her mom, who's kind of an asshole and you're like oh gosh like what is going on with this lady and then her mom dies like suddenly in the first episode and then the whole series is just her navigating that loss but also kind of navigating the fact that her mom was not like the greatest. I think this is like probably a relatable concept to people. I think it's common to have really complicated relationships with your parents um, because parents are just also humans who mess up all the time. Mm -hmm. And so this show I think does a cool job of showcasing how you can like love your parent and also see that they have caused you a lot of trauma and a lot of harm and you can be like remorseful and sad when they die And also think about, oh, wow, I'm never going to have the opportunity to fix or heal the parts that didn't get healed while this person was alive. So I think that's an interesting thing. I I liked this show. I thought they handled it with Comedy, and I think they did a good job.
1: I guess now is not a great time to tell you that I've only seen one episode, but, <laughs> but I've stopped. I've seen the first episode twice, once with you, and then once with Janine. I feel like you watched
0: episode two with me as well. Maybe but, not. Maybe I? you just watched episode one with me. I think you left halfway through episode two.
1: Oh, yeah. I was probably stoned or I was tired. One, <laughs> yeah, of, those one of those two. One of the two. Usually uh-huh. I watched it with Janine, and Janine actually just lost her parent, one of her parents and has had a similar experience with a Mm. family member or having a parent who is a handful. Yeah. And kind of coming to terms with that. And so I think it was just a little bit too close to home. Absolutely. Yeah. So
0: content warning, if you are like working through the grief of losing a family member in a way, kind of before their time, like, you know, in a way that's like, you don't see it coming They're They're younger. Yeah. This can be definitely kind of trauma right inducing or, or triggering. triggering I think
1: it's a really good show from just what I saw in the first episode I fully yeah. like I enjoyed it a lot um yeah and I think that for some people it's really like for I was talking to my mom about this because my mom also just lost her mom mm-hmm. grandma she was kind of like yeah it's interesting how people fall into two camps with this kind of stuff either they go through an experience and they see media and they like have to leave the room or -hmm. turn it off or like pull themselves out of it because it's too close to home and they don't want to feel those feelings again or be triggered Mm -hmm. by it she's like and then there's the other camp who are like i need to be validated in this experience and one of the ways that i can get this validation experiencing this hard thing is to see watch media that features it and see myself in that that character and go through it with that character because it's a a validation yeah. of what I've been through. And you realize
0: when you, when you can watch media like that, Oh, I'm not alone. Like yeah. this is a shared experience. Exactly. There's other people who can connect or relate to this, but I think timing is everything and healing isn't linear. Just check in with yourself as you should do before you really engage mm-hmm. in any media, mm-hmm. check in with yourself and then ask yourself if you're feeling served by it. And if not just freaking shut it down, you don't Turn have to watch off. it. Yeah. What else? What else? Yeah. I mean, So the other show I want to talk about, and let's talk about this one together, is The Ultimatum.
1: I haven't seen it. What? Yeah. Laura, who are you? You haven't watched (laughs) The Ultimatum? No, dude. I texted you when you were talking about The Ultimatum (sighs) with Meg. Hi, Meg. And I was saying- that I can't, I said, I feel like I can't watch it because I'm going to get really frustrated at the TV and at these people. And I don't want to feel frustrated when I get off work. (laughs) Oh my God. And then you said, yeah, probably, you probably will. Yeah. Okay. I I I still haven't watched it. That was weeks ago. That was weeks ago.
0: Oh my God. Okay. So you can't chime in on this show, please. Anyone who wants to talk to me about the ultimatum slide into the DMS of somewhat decent reviews, and we can engage in lively conversation about how none of these people should be in relationships with anyone, except their therapists and themselves. This show is is wild.
1: As a um, unknowledgeable person who hasn't seen the show, I would say that if you're getting to the point of ultimatum with someone, the relationship should probably end, no matter what. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, let's
0: all just acknowledge the fact that if you are in a relationship and one person is like either we get married or we break up. <laughs> then obviously the partners aren't listening to each other and neither of them is ready for marriage. So, yeah. Like because at least for me, when I decide to get married to someone, I very much want it to be like conversations, what is this going to look like? How will we do this? I'm not quite ready, no problem, let's take our time. Here's a side note. Yeah. Every single person on this goddamn show is like under the age of 26 oh gee they're all so young maybe there's like
1: that's right everybody's under
0: 30 for sure there might be one or two guys who are a little older but all of the all of the women on this show are 24 25 and i was like god damn it i was like freaking been smoking weed in a like garage when I was 25 <laughs> like I definitely wasn't needing to be getting married but you know to each their own so yeah anyways well the ultimatum I do recommend it if you're looking for something really trashy to binge watch you can do it and you okay. can if you want something to make you feel maybe a little better about yourself
1: whew. I will check that out
0: yeah okay anyways What's up? What did you watch, Laura? I'll talk about my other show later.
1: What okay. did you watch? So many shows, so little time. <laughs> yeah. I watched uh I'm watching, I'm currently watching, yeah, I'm doing it again. I'm reviewing something that I'm still in process <laughs> of but it's only six episodes and I'm on like <clears throat> episode six. So I'm about to okay, watch the last yeah. episode. I feel like that's acceptable. It's called The Tourist. It's starring Jamie Dornan, which I am really excited to watch. What else is he in, Laura? He's in Wild Mountain Time. One of our faves. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Love <that> movie. Uh, <laughs> Jamie Dornan call this show dark it definitely has its moments of levity but um yeah he's in it daniel mcdonald danielle mcdonald who is known for the movie dumpling uh or Mm dumpling i didn't know she was aussie but she is and she plays the kind of other main character so Mm -hmm. it's jamie dornan and the other main character the story is basically kind of like a born identity premise where um this guy gets hit by a truck in his car and he is in the middle of the Australian outback and he wakes up with no memory of who he is um and he finds out shortly thereafter that people are trying to kill him
0: wow.
1: um so yeah right off the bat you're like holy shit and he, he starts meeting people along the way um who are, try and help him out because like Australian hospitality and stuff like that I'm guessing and you know the sort of story sets him up with a couple friends right away fast friends and he also one of those friends one of those people that he makes friends with the audience finds out or the viewer finds out that she knows has known him previously but she's hiding the fact that she knew him so already when you start out like episode one there's intrigue what I love when they do this where they set up the story with the viewer knowing a little bit more than the character does right I love Um, that too it's kind of like the viewer's omniscient sorry yeah omniscient Right, what or omnipotent? The like omnipotent. When you're,
0: oh my gosh. Okay. Well, you know, like when you're reading a book and you can read inside of like the minds of all of the different characters. Yeah. I think that's what I think it's called omniscient, which means that the reader is omniscient, they can like read everyone's mind. And so we get more of the story. There's
1: definitely a name for like It's funny because I literally have spent so many screenwriting classes, Mm -hmm. like writing in these different perspectives, whereas like one where you're in the dark and the other where the character's in the dark. Uh So it's like in one part of the mystery, you don't know what's going on and the character is like unwrapping the Uh mystery for you and you're kind of like, Mm -hmm. on the edge of your seat. Yes. And then in this one, in this Mm. point of view, you know, just a little bit more than the character does. So So you're you're both unwrapping the story, the mystery together, but- you know that something something's up, but you're you don't know what's waiting. up. Yeah, you're, you're kind of waiting, waiting for them
0: to find it all out. Exactly. Oh, I like
1: I like that. Sounds fun. It is really fun. So, um, yeah, it's a really well made show. The acting is great. Really good acting. I think Jimmy Dornan is a great actor. You um, love him. I do. I think he's a really good actor. He I really mean, is. He's. I think he's. Oh, he's also. It seems to be like a funny dude in real life, which he's I think gorgeous. is gorgeous. Nice. Oh yeah, he's he's a babe. I thought Danielle McDonald did amazing. She plays like a cop who's like really new to the job and Mm -hmm. is like a traffic cop but she's like Mm -hmm. decided to become a detective on this case even though she's not really allowed to but she's kind of like feels really called to like help this dude out to find out who he is yeah it's a good show it's on hbo max Mm -hmm. it's like multi-episodic kind of mystery cool i'm gonna check it out i really that sounds good that sounds good yeah what do
0: you think uh about a segue? (laughs) I know. I'm trying to find a segue here. I'm like thinking about it. I'm like, wow, Jamie, um, Jamie
1: Dornan. Uh, I guess we love Mystery. him, which kind of reminds me of the title of the movie that I reviewed. <laughs> oh yeah, we love Jamie Dornan, and that's the same. There's we love that there's love in the title of the movie.
0: We do love when there's love in the title of a movie. <laughs> transparency we've been like trying to record this podcast for a while and oh so a lot of time has passed we have both absorbed a lot of media since our last recording session can't stop one so stop we can't stop one stop but we also don't have a lot of time so we've been trying to figure out our time so here we are i saw this movie like a week and a half maybe a couple of weeks ago it's called in the mood for love and i'm sure that many of our viewers nope listeners have heard of this movie or seen it especially if you're a film buff I know that when I told Laura I saw it she was very excited because it's one of her favorite movies um some little things that I want to share about it it's by Wang Kar Wai um he is a director screenwriter producer out of um lives in Shanghai it's he's really famous he's very but he's very niche mm-hmm. and he's kind of like cult classic-y um imagine if you will like Studio Ghibli like people get turned about those movies mm-hmm. just in the same way that I p- think people get really turned about Wong Kar movies in the mood for love is maybe arguably his most famous but there's some other ones that people think are also really famous by him that I can't think of the names of right now but in the mood for love is is a really beautiful film It plays a lot with like time. It's set in, it's set in the sixties and there's some really cool techniques in this movie. Some of the things that I like, there's these like really cool grounding techniques that he does where, because he jumps around a lot with time and he doesn't give you a lot, in the dialogue, it's, it's such a visually stunning movie. And the visuals is what really tells the story. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like minimal dialogue. Um, and one thing that's really interesting about this movie that my friend who I went to this movie with told me is that when one car Wai showed up with the cast for, to, rec- to do this movie, to start filming, he didn't really have a script. He was just like okay like this is the storyline. This is like what I the story that I want to tell and we're just gonna go for it and we're gonna like ad-lib and kind of like improv the scenes as we go. So Mm -hmm. I think that's well a huge risk to take as a director but also a really cool thing to do as a director. Mm -hmm. It's probably makes work really challenging for the cinematographer. And in fact, it really did for this movie. The Mm -hmm. cinematographer was like banking on what, like a three or four month job. And this turned into like a year long project Mm -hmm. and he had to duck out because he had like other commitments. So you can kind of tell in the movie when- The cinematographer switches and um, they had a new cinematographer. So there's like some cool grounding features. They always return to like the same window that has like these bars on it. They always show like the same image of this clock. Mm -hmm. The main character, um, the main woman in the movie, she always wears the exact same dress, but in different patterns. And so there's just really cool things that kind of keep you as the viewer, like grounded in the movie. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. 20 out of 10 recommend if you are at all interested in film like you definitely need to check out One Car Wai and watch this movie it's really mm-hmm. good
1: so yeah this is one of my favorite movies of all time I have always loved this movie ever since I start- watched it I come back to it a lot just when I need like a visual pick-me-up because it's so beautiful it's such a visual movie and I think it makes sense why he didn't have a set script going in because he knew he had the visuals really tight When you watch the movie, the visuals Mm -hmm. are so pointed and thought out and you know, you know, the vision of the movie immediately, like once you start watching Mm -hmm. it. And I think that the storyline itself is basically that two married people's spouses are having an affair and they find out that they're having an affair and then they come together to talk and then they fall in love. So it's that like parent trap with your fucking spouses, you know, I don't know what that's called. There's probably a name for that, but um, they don't really, I think the reason that it works without having a script and why that it works being ad libbed is that so much of that situation, if you think about that situation in real life, like so much of that is based on your feelings Mm -hmm. and less on like the words that you say, like, If if that shit's happening to you, there's some visceral feelings going on, and it's almost like an unbelievable situation. Yeah, you know, it's and it's interesting. You have to remember because the way that you just described the
0: story, like this is a story we've heard before. But imagine, if you will, like this is 1960s China. Yeah, 1962. 1962 Hong Hong Kong. Kong, Yeah, and so this woman, it's like she doesn't. It's not the same as if you are in a relationship in 2022. And you find out your partner has this whole other side life for something, you're like, oh, well, F that, I'm just leaving she was in a really tricky situation and she had to figure out like, oh, do I walk away from my marriage and potentially walk away from all the security of being a married person in 1962 in Hong Kong? Or do I like potentially go off and be a single woman, which, you know, causes, I think at that time, probably a lot more discrimination and Mm -hmm. hostility from others. So Mm -hmm. it's a really, oh gosh, it's really beautiful. It's really tricky story. Mm -hmm. So gorgeous.
1: Yep. Definitely yeah. a tricky situation. Um, yeah, it was when it, it came out in 2000 um, and it was nominated for a Palme d'Or, which is mm-hmm. at the Cannes Film Festival, is like the highest honor. Yeah. So yeah. and if you
0: don't know, that's the film festival that happens in France. En France. En France. <laughs> um, one thing I will say too is this movie, there are a lot of things that we review on this podcast that are a people magazine, you know, like they're really easy to get through and they're not very nourishing for your soul or your spirit but they're fun and they're ways to like drop out of reality for a minute but if you are someone who's like interested in film because it's an art form and it's like experimental and it makes you think about things in a different way this is the movie that you need to watch it's it's definitely a piece of cinematic art Mm -hmm. more than it is a great like movie to watch on a friday night with all of your friends like this is a movie that you sit down and you really just drop into so Mm -hmm. i was really lucky to see it in the theater it was awesome to see it and it was on reprinted 35 millimeter so So jealous really
1: beautiful yeah it was really cool i didn't i've never seen it in theaters yeah i was, I was someday the i'm
0: sure it'll come back the director of the hollywood theater in portland oregon he really likes one car y and so it's great
1: it's yeah. great good <laughs> what did you watch what movie did you watch lou um <laughs> i watched uh, the tony Hawk documentary oh my god that- <laughs> <laughs> it came out this year uh came out like very recently. It was all right, you know. Uh it's basically mm-hmm. like a chronicle of Tony Hawks rise to prominence and fame and he is interviewed the entire movie so it is mm-hmm. like uh, he didn't make the movie but he definitely signed off on it and it's definitely you know all access his story, his story all mm-hmm. access to his life. Um it does interview a bunch of his contemporaries when he was young he Uh, got signed by one of the lords of dogtown guys stacy peralta who was kind of responsible for for stewarding all of these young teenage boys into like superstar fame as skateboarders because he like would see their special abilities and Mm -hmm. be like hey come be on my skate team like i loved that movie lords of dogtown did you i'm gonna review it it's one of my top five favorite movies of all time I know that in Detroit Rock City. That's so funny. Story for another time. <laughs> okay. I do love Detroit Rock City. And yeah, good. Lords of is pretty good. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Stacey Peralta, who's yeah. in Lords of Dogtown, mm-hmm. uh, is the one who made Tony Hawk like who he was. You know, he like was a scrawny little kid who skated in a way that wasn't like the popular way at the time. And he kind of, everybody thought he was a total weakling. And he wasn't like phenomenal right away but he worked his ass off like he worked mm-hmm. so hard he was like it's like a classic story of like the kid who fucking perseveres and right. like becomes expert because he's done the 10,000 hours he's got the the vavoom the vavoom <laughs> the vavoom um <inaudible> yeah That's so amazing. he's got he had that that natural that that like natural inclination to just practice 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 um mm-hmm. and his dad who was retired a little older and was retired like really sponsored, really supported him um, and like wanted to just show up for his kids. So he actually would like put together like competitions. His dad would put together skate competitions that Tony would then skate at. And, you know, like, yeah, it was interesting because a lot of the skaters at the time when he was starting out were like, well, your dad's a part of it. So like, it's, it's totally bogus and he's probably rigging it and stuff. And so Tony had to kind of like come be the underdog and come up from you know behind of being like everybody thinking he was not legit to being like no my dad isn't helping me like he's just organizing the competition but like he's not helping me yeah. become a better skater or like you know these kinds of things I'm doing that on my own I'm leaving totally. the house I'm going out I'm doing it on my own yeah, so, um, oh, it's interesting. Two things. I yes.
0: totally relate to that feeling. My mom was always a theater director, oh. and I was always an, a big time actress, really liked to sing, be in know the your theater. Mom was a theater
1: director. Yeah, my
0: whole life growing up at all the schools I went to, my mom was always the director. Oh, and so wow. I always felt like I had to work really hard to get mm-hmm. any part because my mom wouldn't want to give it to me right away because then that she would favoritism. get accused of favoritism. And then the other thing is, How interesting people's trajectory and stories are when he has a dad who is able to foot the bill for sure for, for sure. all of these things you yeah. know i'm um, right i just also recently watched the movie um king richard which is uh, about yeah serena and venus williams kind of coming up and yes um their dad basically giving everything he has yeah mm-hmm. and that's a much different story right mm-hmm. like absolutely totally so it's yeah. interesting
1: yeah yeah i mean i don't think his family was wealthy by any means mm-hmm. or like but yeah it was interesting also because he like really didn't like that his dad was getting involved after a while because he was getting so much flack for it and Mm so you know he his dad wound up passing away um and when he was still like kind of at the just beginning of his fame oh wow um so he was still pretty young because his dad was uh, quite a bit older um Mm -hmm. for your average than your average dad but yeah I mean I think okay this is fine fine documentary they interview some really funny like weirdo skater dudes that are you know now aging in their mm-hmm. 40s and stuff still skating but you know previous pro superstars this is my hot take from the film which <laughs> is that I think that Tony Hawk and Princess Diana look like they could be siblings
0: <gasps> okay let's
1: look at them side by please, side on please a pull picture. up two photos side by side one okay. of tony hawk one of princess diana when they were young young photos tell me they are not princess diana
0: tony hawk
1: any of our listeners can weigh in on what they think about Let's this
0: see. oh my god wow I actually, really do
1: don't they super look like similar. they could be twinsies um, or siblings oh my gosh yeah
0: you know what honestly they really do okay well we all know there's just like there's only so many ways you can look yeah these two are the same they're both aliens Dops, for doppelgangers
1: sure. Yeah. Both aliens, (laughs) both for sure.
0: Aliens. Well, you know, you were talking about a documentary, and we both watched part of a documentary. You watched really? part of a documentary and I watched another part. I watched the whole thing. You only so watched two, parts, watched. Make hole. two <laughs> parts make a whole. Two parts <laughs> make a whole. Um yeah, we watched this freaking documentary about Abercrombie and Fitch. Abercrombie and Fetch. Uh, did you shop and there that. when you were a kid? No, I couldn't afford it. Yeah. Number one, couldn't afford it. Number two, couldn't fit in it. I've always been curvy, yeah. like definitely could number three, couldn't see anything no. when I went in there. So I had no idea.
1: <laughs> I need a flashlight. I need a flashlight and a gas mask. But you know what, was Hollister awesome. was even darker. I will say that.
0: Yeah, that whole time in the early 2000s when we had like Moles. Hollister, Paxton. Yeah. Okay. So this movie is really interesting. If you are someone who like Grew us, up was in the era of born. Moles. 80s 90s and grew up in the era when yeah going to the fucking mall was just like what you did yeah watch any movie from the 90s and there's mall scenes right like clueless mall scene mean girls mall scene yeah like those are obviously early 2000s 90s but yes i was
1: at the mall like every weekend that's just like what you you did
0: so back in that time not anymore malls aren't really a thing anymore but Gosh, they're just, so this movie is just basically about the rise of Abercrombie and Fitch and how the entire brand was built on exclusion, racial exclusion, size exclusion, affordability exclusion. Like they just, and they wanted it that way. Like that was their whole idea mm-hmm. <laughs> was to be exclusionary. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's like in a way, this movie is kind of funny because it was like a little validating because mm-hmm. I was like, damn, you know, honestly, when you are, 12, 13, 14, 15, and you're really impressionable and you just want to fit in. You just want to be liked and your friends are wearing stuff from Abercrombie and Fitch. You can't afford it. You can't fit. You can't do it. Then, you know, you, you take that personally and it's almost like you view yourself bad. Like Mm -hmm. I think it affected my self-esteem like, oh, I can't. And that was what they wanted. They wanted that. They wanted people to feel bad about themselves. They wanted people to want it and to aspire to Abercrombie and Fitch. But it's validating now to watch this and be like, oh, damn, yeah, it really was fucked up. And there was a lot of people who really felt like it was fucked up. And yeah,
1: yeah, I definitely wanted to wear Abercrombie and Fitch. I thought it was cool, but I also yeah. was like, something's not right here because it's so expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's like the graduate. I mean, it's owned by the same person who owns the limited. Like limited two and stuff like that, and limited two is one of those stores where when I was a kid I walked by limited two at the mall and I'd be like, oh my god, and I would drool over everything, but I couldn't afford anything in there. Yeah, so it was like so taunting, you know. It was just it's the the brands of exclusivity, you know. Totally, yeah, totally. Limited two
0: was. I felt like a little bit more like old Mm Navy-esque than the Abercrombie limited. Also the clientele for limited two is a lot younger. We're talking like pre-teens, teens. Well, you start with
1: limited two and then you graduate to Abercrombie.
0: If you're cool enough. I mean, I pretty much exclusively shopped at limited two, but couldn't even walk in an Abercrombie. Right, right. (laughs) So I feel like limited two had more, it was just like a little bit more welcoming. Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, it was for kids. It was for young kids. Yeah. I don't
0: know. Anyways, this movie is fucked up, dudes. Yeah. You can watch it if you really want to kind of think about psychology and you're in if you're and interested branding. in branding and yeah. marketing and business. Um, I mean,
1: from that standpoint, they took they were really smart. They knew that say they, they knew that everybody wants to fit in and that they'll do anything to get into the cool crowd and mm-hmm. the exclusive crowd. And they knew that the cult of exclusivity is super important to people that are forming their senses of self. Yeah. And they also knew that sex sells. Totally. And so they bottled that all together and made Abercrombie and Fitch. But one of the things that one
0: of the people in this documentary shares is that you really actually don't want your business to burn white hot like that because it's not sustainable. Right. Right. So they were they were a flash in the pan, Mm -hmm. you know, Abercrombie and Fitch came on the scene but really here we are they were they became a really established brand early 2000s and mm-hmm. it's only been 20 years and they're pretty much a very different vibe now you know are they still around see that yeah the, so the guy so you have to finish the documentary yeah so the guy <laughs> who was the owner the one who basically set all of t- these unrealistic expectations into motion and was the kind of head yeah. on show chris? i can't remember what his name is yeah chris something for sure Yeah, there you go, Chris. Sure. (laughs) He, um, sure. He left the the company in 2015 and they hired this woman and she came over as like the new CEO and she kind of one of the things she said is she's like, we're expanding our sizing. We're like turning on the lights. We're lowering the music, <laughs> like come in here. This place is for everyone. Taking so- out
1: some of the in- like wild amounts of cologne in the air.
0: Yeah. And did you know, one of the things they said on that documentary is like um, Abercrombie and Fitch had a specific scent that was designed and brewed just for inside their store. And you would actually see people walking around spritzing. spritzing. Yeah. One of the weirdest things about this, and this is the last thing I'll say about this and then we can move on to talk about books or something. One of the things that was weird is that this guy would rank all the employees. So if you, so there's like 10 people working and every week or something, you would have to send somebody like your entire like roster of employees and they would get ranked on cool, not cool, sort of cool. And then if you had any employee who wasn't like ranked Cool, then they would just stop getting shifts and they would literally just be oh, ghosted. Bananas. You wouldn't even be fired, you'd just be ghosted by Abercrombie and Fitch. You just like never get called for a shift again, and then you're like, Oh, oh I guess God. I don't
1: work Dude, there. The ghost, the <laughs> ghost uh firing is a real thing. I've heard weird. multiple people have that happen before. Just not getting shifts, it's yeah. so confusing. And they don't even say anything, and then you yeah. have to ask, Am I still working here? It's oh, like, yeah,
0: totally. You're still working here, but. Sony shifts for you.
1: Yeah, just call back. Call like back. that little manager voice that you did. Yeah, call
0: back. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So watch that if you need a weird documentary or you want to feel like nostalgic. Yeah. I mean, we basically
1: <laughs> just explained it for you. So yeah. you don't even need to, have watch to watch it, it. it. But yeah, it's fine. It's want... it's good for nostalgia.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Ugh, let's cleanse our palate. Let's cleanse our
0: palettes. What did you read?
1: Um, I read a book called the great pretenders, the great pretender, or the great pretenders can't remember so any great pretender on our list here. Okay. Not plural by Susanna Cahalan. Um, she's known for her first book, which is a memoir called brain on fire, um, which is about her experience with mental illness, um, but misdiagnosed mental illness. So her big story and the thing that her memoir is about is that in her mid twenties, she, um, Basically her life went off the rails. She started developing severe psychosis symptoms kind of out of the blue. um, And they got worse and worse. And her parents were shocked and everybody in her life was shocked. She was a journalist um, and had to take a leave, leave from work, had to, you know, basically all activities in her life. True story. True story. It's a memoir. She wrote, she wrote a memoir about it. So she's still alive. Um, but that's brain on fire. So she eventually got uh, institutionalized for a short period of time, or she was going to be institutionalized. She was seeing all kinds of people for her psychosis and her, her parents were, you know, she had a affluent enough family mm-hmm. to, and people enough that cared about her to be like, something's up. And like, is she really having a nervous breakdown or is she, she's obviously breaking from reality, like what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and Instead of just doing psychological tests, which they did, um, they had, they advocated for physical, so physical, um, brain, like brain scans and testing mm-hmm. like that, which is expensive, but they went the extra mile and were like, Hey, you know, something's not right. Can you test, do some spinal, you know, a spinal tap and te- test what's going on in her brain and her mm-hmm. And they diagnosed her with encephalitis of the brain, which means that you have, it's an autoimmune disease where your immune system attacks your brain. Whoa. So how horrifying she was convinced or her family was convinced and everybody around her. And she was convinced that she was mentally ill and was going to be institutionalized because she had such bad bipolar or schizophrenia. Basically she had symptoms of schizophrenia. And instead, she didn't actually have schizophrenia. She just had a really intense autoimmune disease, which she then was able to get treatment for and completely rebounded oh, and is wow. now like fully functioning as her in back in her own um, sense of self and all that kind of stuff. So she wrote a memoir about that experience because she spent a lot of time in mental the mental institution world. and. Mm -hmm. you know, working with psychiatrists and all those kinds of things and learned a lot about getting healthcare and how hard it is. And also how hard it is to determine whether something is psychosomatic or somatic and how closely related they both are. Mm. Um, And so she wrote another follow-up book to it. That's this book, which is um, about a really, really prominent er early psychiatry experiment, which was basically that eight people- check willingly and undercover, went undercover, checked themselves into um, a mental institution or asylum as they used to call them. Uh, what do they call them now? I mean nothing, because they banned them all. They banned them all. Right. They banned institutions, them. All. Institutions. Institutions. Yeah. yeah. So eight neurotypical people went undercover, checked themselves into institutions. I guess you could call them a psych ward. Psych wards. Yeah. Yeah. Checked themselves into psych wards in 1973. Yikes to document and take in what was going Going on there yeah it's really bad um and it's also so it's 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 wild I mean it's really really fascinating and it's also because it it basically was a groundbreaking study because Mm -hmm. there was so psychiatry is a you know really new field and there's so little that we know about the brain you know and Mm -hmm. we're still learning a lot and we're a lot better equipped than we were but it's still like a frontier, you know, for for medicine and for study and all these things. The 70s was kind of like a pretty trailblazing decade for specific social service study and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, So there was... Obviously, like the Stanford prison experiment around Rough. the same time was really so really horrible, you know, but like this one was a little bit more tame. I think Bobo the Clown also happened at that yeah. time. Have you heard of that one? Yeah. Yeah. Wild. So
0: part of the reason why we've instated now the IRB, the internal review board, mm-hmm. that will look over the outlines of experiments that people want to do like yep. especially scholars like if you are studying and you're getting a PhD or something it has you to have be to, above board it has to be above board and they have to sign off and make sure that it's not going
1: to harm yeah. people so
0: what so this good,
1: book good idea yeah <laughs> it's very important um yeah. this book is really fascinating and hard to read if you're easily mm-hmm. you know bothered by information that's mm-hmm. about traumatic events but it's very very thorough in its investigation of um, the history of psychiatry so it's basically a book that focuses on this specific study but it starts out with a really comprehensive history of psychiatry around the world but particularly in the United States where she's from and it's wild to hear about the first institutions I mean they were hell really really like horrible horrible places and you also what's fascinating to me and a fun fact that I didn't know about in this book is that in like the 1817 and 1800s like I think some some like exorbitant number of people if you like took a poll of like a crew a group of people like one out of four people had been in an institution because it was very very easy to institutionalize anybody that pissed you off oh yeah you could just get, especially if you're a man, so pretty much mostly if you're a man, so men were known for, um, you know, putting their wives. their wives in institutions so they could carry on with their mistresses or so they could instead, because divorce wasn't around, you know, you couldn't divorce yeah, someone. It was really it was upon. really hard to divorce someone. So yeah. people just institutionalize their wives or mm-hmm. um, if someone's might, if someone did something bad to you, you could get them institutionalized by paying someone. Or tipping off the cops and paying them off. Very early day prisons in a way. Exactly. Exactly. And just nothing no understanding of how, like, what people need or you know, behavioral therapies or anything like that. It's kind of wild. I mean, I we talk about
0: this a lot in my work of reflecting over the trajectory of the disability rights movement, you know, and Mm -hmm. how there was such a long time when people with disabilities were put into asylums institutions. And when the light was shown on how harmful and really terrible these places were now we're, you know, the message is more community care and community integration, which is way more helpful, but I'm, you know, there's still so much room to grow and we are still so close to that history. Like Mm -hmm. if you are someone who is interested in this topic. And you have a strong stomach and you're able to watch things like this because they're challenging. Obviously, they're like hurt to watch. But there's a movie that PBS put out called In the Shadow or OPB. It's called In the Shadow of Fairview, Oregon Public Broadcasting. I'm pretty sure put it out. Oregon Public Television. Yeah, you can watch it. Fairview was the um, institution in Oregon Mm -hmm. and it shut down... uh, Not that long ago, Mm -hmm. which is really wild. Mm -hmm. So you should watch that movie if you're interested specifically in Oregon's history of institutionalization and Mm -hmm. how far we've come. But yeah.
1: We have come a long way. Um, but yeah, still far to go. Still have a lot to work on. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but the book I do recommend. I think she's a pretty good, I mean, she's a journalist, so she Mm. writes like a journalist, and I like reading. Journalist right I, I like that style of writing um so just a reminder that book the first one is called brain on
0: fire that's yep. not the one you're reviewing but that's the one that tells her experience mm-hmm. and the one that you're reviewing is the great pretender which is about this experiment that was done prior to her
1: Yeah. About the experiment yeah. of the '70s and also previous early history of psychiatry up cool. until then. Yeah, cool. That yep. sounds really Give good. Give it a read. It's real good. Interesting.
0: Cool. Well, my book is quite different than that. It's yeah, um, <laughs> a little lightness. <laughs> yeah, we'll bring a little bit of lightness. My book, the book I read, is called "World of Wonders." It's by Amy Nizuku Matato. Cool is who wrote this book, and she is of Filipino and Indian descent. She grew up in the United States and many times in her life was the only person of color, the only Mm -hmm. brown girl at her school. So she grew up partially in like Ohio and um, in in California or Arizona. Um, And she, she did okay. Like she, you know, she kind of found a lot of her solace in like nature Mm -hmm. and the environment and uh, plants and animals and always had a really like science driven brain, mm. which comes out in this book. But she is a poet and a writer. She's a professor. She works um, in Mississippi, mm. lives there with her family. This book is just a collection of kind of poetic prose and essays that share about specific plants and animals, such as the firefly or a specific kind of tree or a plant or an octopus. Um, and she Talks about this thing, whatever she's picking. She talks about this being, and she weaves in her own stories of her own life and growing up and what she's learned and being a mom and being a writer and having reverence for nature. It it reminded me a lot of braiding sweetgrass in that it was just uh, how beautiful it wove together, like her own feelings about the world and how to live in it and how to be in it, and also facts and science about Mm. plants and about like, you know, oh, this bird has this specific type of beak for this purpose. And this is what its Latin name is. And this is the kind of food it eats. And that reminds me of eating with my family in India and like the grains that my grandmother would cook. Like, Mm. so she weaves in just really beautiful Um, stories about her life. And I really recommend it. It's got beautiful illustrations, really easy to get through, not incredibly long. I love books like that too, Mm -hmm. because I love reading books of Essays or short stories because they kind of give you here's your 10 pages and you can read that. And then you finished something and Mm -hmm. you can be accomplished and then you can set the book down. It's a great stopping point. You don't have to like stop in the middle of a chapter or the Mm -hmm. middle of a thought. So I love books like that. And this one definitely does that. So I highly recommend it. World of Wonders.
1: Love a good story, Weaver.
0: Mm, Yeah, she's beautiful. She's got some amazing poetry too. I highly recommend checking out her poetry.
1: Sick. Yeah. I uh listened to a cool podcast uh cool. recently. Uh, I've been listening to it. It's called The Illusionist. Mm. Um the host is named Helen Zaltzman. It's it's really cool. On a scale from 1 to nerdy, this is like past <laughs> nerdy or maybe just shy of nerdy, I would say. It's very nerdy, I think, but it's so good. It's a podcast about words and language. Ooh, cool. Um for all you language nerds out there, you linguists, you linguists. She is a researcher and linguist and all around nerd in a great way. He talks about like every week, there's a different theme. Like this last episode that I listened to was about translating how, when China rev, uh, revolutionized there, basically, how do I explain this? It's basically when, uh, about when China started making their pictographic language um, or character-driven language translatable to computers, and mm. um, because you know computers do code, and so having to translate characters into coding, right? Was not, you know, like Western, it was very westernized. And so that's one example of an episode. Another example is she talks about all these like weird old English like phrases that we have. Let a sleeping dog lie. Yeah. Like, things like that. Things like, like that where weird. you're like,
0: where did this say come come from? From? origin exactly. of an expression? Exactly. I love that kind of stuff. That's a lot I studied a lot about that in when I was right. studying communications, um, colloquialisms. Exactly. Things yeah. that we say that we don't really know where they came from like oh I'm a basket case yep do we know why we say basket case yeah like well breaking it
1: down it actually comes yeah yeah that's really cool so So she's and it's interesting too because I am a person who grew up with people that use a lot of flowery weird language and sayings and a lot of colloquialisms Uh uh-huh and so I say a lot of colloquialisms and without thinking and then people will be like what like why are you what right because so- they
0: can really differ by region totally. by family I mean and you grew up in a Jewish family so I'm yeah. sure you have a lot of like colloquialisms that make sense because of that heritage that mm-hmm. maybe someone else wouldn't understand or yeah. wouldn't get you know and she
1: kind of hits all that in her podcast so cool. I really love it um her voice is like chef's kiss mm. it's such a good voice good we know you um, love a voice. We love a good voice, and yeah. yeah, I love a good voice. And Helen Zaltzman is the voice. It's that voice, kind of yeah. not not Frank Sinatra the no. voice,
0: but the other voice. The other voice.
1: Uh, the, the she's the actually voice, British. Helen. Yeah, oh, Helen. She's cool. she's British. She's got a really great British accent. Um. Anyways, give it, Yay, give it a listen. The allusionist with an A,
0: not oh. an I. Illusionist.
1: The illusionist, not the illusionist. Yeah, don't do that. Okay. What about you? Um, you Have know, you been reading or listening to podcasts? I've been I've been
0: reading a lot. I will just give an update for all of our listeners who are keeping tabs on that book that Laura started a hundred years ago <laughs> and reviewed on the podcast, having only read 40 pages. <sighs> So 70, I read 70, 70 pages of an 800 and something page book. So she really knew what was going uh-huh. on. I'm about what? Almost 600, 600 pages in yeah. right now, which is pretty good. So I will be reviewing that again once it's finished.
1: Got to catch up. Time really, you wasted. do need
0: to catch up because I will be giving spoilers. We're going to bring a guest on for that episode to talk about um, some ideas, theories, themes, things that we liked, things we didn't like. So you have that to look forward to coming up, but that book's been taking up a lot of my time. What are you, any bands that you've been listening to? Recently, I've been listening to a lot of Lake Street Dive Oh, because I'm getting ready to play a little show and I've been practicing some old songs that I really love on the guitar. And that's one, that's one band that I really, really love. So if you haven't listened to Lake Street Dive, they are really phenomenal, jazzy, poppy but kind of funky again great voice really beautiful voice the lead singer her name's Rachel um one time I met her and I told her I was in love with her and wanted to marry her and she just said I was so sweet and I was like no I'm not kidding and and then she was like Ha! and I was like okay I guess she thinks I'm kidding (laughs) <laughs> but creep. <laughs> it was no i am i'm not it wasn't that much of a creep i didn't like follow her around or anything um yeah, okay uh, i did uh, i was at a, was at a that concert venue. <laughs> but yeah they're amazing they have one song um <clears throat> better than yeah it's, it's really fave. beautiful that's my fave song yep that's an in an, an incredible song and bad self-portraits is mm-hmm. another one of my absolute faves by them so Go ahead and go listen to those two songs by Lake Street Dive. If you haven't listened to anything else, listen to those two.
1: But speaking of uh, not Lake Street Dives, speaking of playing a show, which you said you were going to do. I am. I am going to a show the night you're playing that show. I'm so annoyed. So annoying. I already bought my tickets and then you told me you are playing that show, which is a bummer. Maybe you'll come after. Maybe I'll come after. Maybe I'll show hop. Okay. I'm going to show hop. But I'm seeing a band called Dead. D-E-H-D. Not D-E-A-D. Dead. They're amazing. (laughs) Uh, I'm really into them right now. They're like fun, punky music. Give them a listen.
0: Yeah. You know what, y'all? This has been an amazing night of recording somewhat decent reviews the podcast but our computer's gonna die so we gotta go we gotta cut this down we gotta cut it short we love you chargers not not around we don't have an accessible charger so we we sh- we ba- basically shit the bed here so anyways we gotta go <laughs> we love you follow us on instagram at somewhat decent reviews give us a gmail at somewhat de- decent reviews at gmail.com <laughs> gmail. this is molly and laura and this is somewhat decent reviews episode Bye. Bye.